0: Welcome back to Brazilian Politics, the podcast where three political analysts discuss all things Brazilian politics. Thank you for tuning in. This week, we will dis- we will take advantage of the legislative break and the relatively slow pace of political activity in January to look at Brazil's foreign policy priorities and discuss perspectives for 2020. This podcast is brought to you by Arco Advice, Brazil's leading political risk and public affairs firm. Hi, guys. All right. As I briefly mentioned in the intro, the pace of political activity here in Brasilia is somewhat reduced in January, with legislative activity returning in February for what will surely be a very busy first semester. So I thought we could take advantage of this quote-unquote lull in Brazilian politics to do a deep dive on Brazil's foreign policy. Um, I think our listeners would be interested in learning about not only how foreign policy is formulated, but also about how it's implemented in Brazil. Uh, Now, the first thing I think is important to mention right at the outset is that Brazil is known for its very competent diplomatic community. Uh, They are considered to be among the best prepared and most knowledgeable of all civil servants in Brazil, with maybe the most difficult uh, civil service entrance exam, the Rio Branco. Um, Now, a a lot has been written over the past year about the role of the Tamarachi and the Bolsonaro administration, uh, could you both help us unpack what the role of the Itamarachi is? Um, and for our U.S. listeners, it's the equivalent of uh, the U.S. State Department. Um, but how does it function in the Bolsonaro government, and how has this role evolved compared to previous administrations?
1: Well, Michael, uh, first of all, hello to all our listeners. Um, the Brazilian Itamarachi, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, as it's called uh, in Brazil, Uh, has always been considered uh, a top-quality institution of the Brazilian uh, government organization, of the Brazilian state organization. And the quality, as you well said, the quality of the Brazilian diplomats is undisputed and uh, respected all over the world. Throughout the years, uh, and this began a lot during the, the PT years, during the Lula years, The Itamaraty, who has always prided themselves in not having any clear uh, ideological positioning, but they were always very attached to pragmatism. Uh, And this is basically what elevated their their very good perception throughout the world. This began to change throughout the years when we had uh, the PT administration putting some elements of ideological behavior within Itamarachi and sidelining some Brazilian diplomats who were not directly aligned with their view of the world. And this uh, is something complicated. It's something that generated a response in part of the society, naturally. And when we had a shift of administration that involved a shift in the, in the way that uh, the, the perception of the, of the government also shifted under the new Bolsonaro administration, there is also a similar type of questionings and criticisms within the current Itamarachi uh, in relation to an excessive ideological position. Whether this is something that uh, is welcomed by some and criticized by others, the Itamarachi definitely lost some of its preeminence in foreign affairs since we have other areas of the government that acted more independently in their ways of doing foreign affairs, such as the the Ministry of Economy, they have their own direct view, Uh, the Ministries of Environment, of Agriculture, which have their foreign affairs specialists that negotiate with other countries. So,
0: a lot has changed over the past years. Thank you uh, for that, Chago. Now, uh, Lucas, I'd like you to expand a bit on something that Thiago mentioned, which is that there are several different formulators of uh, foreign policy in the Brazilian government. Uh, Thiago mentioned the Ministry of the Economy, um, the Ministry of Agriculture uh, has a say. Uh, Lucas, as somebody who has a, a good relationship with uh, key individuals in the, this administration, Uh, Who would you say are the uh, members of uh, Bolsonaro's inner circle that have the the greatest amount of influence over the formulation of uh, foreign policy?
2: Michael, I have no doubts that the power structure uh, regarding what is being developed under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs resides in Eduardo Bolsonaro, who is considered uh, probably the main thinker uh, for foreign affairs policies. Minister Ernesto Araújo, who knows exactly what uh, Eduardo and his father, President Jair Bolsonaro, uh, thinks and believes, is responsible for drafting policies and creating the narrative in a more formal diplomatic way that is adequate to the mindset of the Bolsonaro clan. You have also uh, an individual in the the presidential palace, Felipe Martins, uh, who is the special advisor for international affairs, who, although he's not a public policy executor, he is very close to Eduardo and influences the structure of such narratives. I also would add uh, the, the very controversial uh, figure of Olavo de Carvalho, the political thinker guru residing in Virginia, who is responsible for overseeing uh, such narratives. Uh, the militaries have um, you know, just uh, influence now and then, depending on the item that is being discussed. A clear example is the response given by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs regarding the U.S.-Iran tensions. Felipe, uh, from what I heard, uh, wrote the initial draft of the Brazilian response, which followed by Minister Araújo rewriting it in a way that would be more uh, adequate to the to the formalities of the Itamarachi. And once this draft was ready, Eduardo greenlighted it with minor additions. The military had no participation. I would add to this whole power structure, maybe... Um, Minister uh, Eleno, General Eleno of the GSI, and also the Minister of Defense, Azevedo, who are uh, very uh, experienced and and high-end officials from the militaries, and at the moment, especially Minister Azevedo, who has gained a lot of influence under the inner circle of uh, President Bolsonaro, and was uh, responsible for advising Bolsonaro to have a more cautious and and, and less uh, uh, intense response to the entire Iran-U.S. incident.
0: Thank you for that. Now, uh, before we move on to our next segment, uh, Thiago, I'd like you to speak a bit about uh, Bolsonaro's personal view of foreign policy in this new age where we have presidents tweeting directly about very sensitive issues, uh, also covering foreign policy and international incidents, relationships with other countries. uh, That's something that we've seen Bolsonaro do as well. Um, So I'd like to just hear a bit on on how he relates to foreign policy. Is it a priority for him? And uh, how does his view of foreign policy affect domestic Brazilian policy? Michael, I see that Bolsonaro's knowledge of foreign policy
1: is very superficial. It's not something that he has engaged throughout his career as a representative, as a congressman. Uh, We rarely, if any, we don't find footage of him talking thoroughly about foreign affairs issues. And he has made clear that he respects and endorses the opinions coming from Eduardo Bolsonaro, and Felipe Martins, the advisor in the presidential palace. So these are the two individuals that, uh, mainly Eduardo Bolsonaro, uh, but I would nonetheless uh, put Felipe Martins in a lower tier, they are the two individuals that feed Bolsonaro's brain in foreign affairs. And uh, the fact that Bolsonaro has never pretty has never been involved pretty much in foreign affairs throughout his career indicates that it's not something that he... Uh, pays attention that much, that he likes to get engaged that much, and his views are very limited. However, he has demonstrated lots of interest in commerce. He has, the, openly in the beginning of last year, he has demonstrated a desire to, to have a very close approximation, uh, an alliance with the United States that is extremely tight. A few months later in China, he, he described China as a non-communist country and expressed the same desire. So I believe that he is discovering the wonders of foreign affairs and geopolitics, and sometimes he is demonstrating that he is getting wooed by it.
0: Uh, Thank you for that, Thiago. I think that's very well put. Um, All right, moving on to our next segment. Uh, We have heard from uh, some of our our listeners that they really enjoyed last week's rapid-fire segment. Um, And since we'll focus on Brazil's foreign policy this week, I thought it'd be interesting to go through a few countries – uh, a few regions or international situations and get your quick feedback on Brazil's relationship to these countries, regions or, or conflicts, and then a, a bit on how they would affect Brazil politically. Uh, all right. So kicking off this week's rapid fire segment, uh, number one, Venezuela.
2: Well, Venezuela, Brazil is still uh, monitoring the uh, after uh, Bolton, John Bolton left uh, the the White House, this shifted a little bit uh, the, the pressure from the U.S. to have a stronger stance of Brazil, even supporting uh, an intervention at some point. Uh, I think Brazil is in a moment of just monitoring the situation and making sure that the, the border is safe and secure, especially for this side, uh, for Brazil. Uh, I believe that regarding Venezuela, Eduardo is uh, someone that is very close to the to the names that were chosen by Guaidó to stay in Brasilia and he is the person that is constantly monitoring the situation Hamilton Morão the vice president who has worked in Venezuela also has a lot of intel that is very interesting for the government and is a key player in this situation as well
0: number two China
1: well China uh, China began the the Bolsonaro administration being attacked even during the campaign, China was a target uh, because of its uh, Communist Party. But throughout the, the months, as Bolsonaro began to understand the, the, the machinery of the economic policies of Brazil and economic necessities, he shifted completely 180 degrees his approach to China. I don't see that this will change It possibly will only strengthen from now on until the end of the government. And one of the indicators is that the government is willing to welcome Huawei in the 5G uh, bidding auction that will happen in the beginning of 2021, despite the protests from
0: the U.S. government. And number three, the U.S.
2: Well, the U.S. is obviously our most important and strategic ally under this government poses a heavy influence in how Brazil shapes its public uh, policy for foreign affairs. One example is uh, how religion has been inserted in the narrative of this foreign affairs uh, team, which is also influenced by the views of Mike Pompeo, uh, a religious man and evangelical himself. Uh, Brazil has had some tensions with the the U.S. in recent months, especially regarding the potential terrorists, which were then uh, taken away, and especially the not so uh, strong stance on the OECD, which now appears to be back on the table. But it will be continue to be the, the guiding star of this foreign policy.
0: And number four, the U.S. and Iran. Uh, the U.S. and Iran is a,
1: is a bilateral issue that, of course, it involves several other players in the region and in Europe, in which Brazil should not have getting, shouldn't get involved in this situation. We don't have anything to put in the table in this particular situation. We understood that the, the, the report, the, the communication that was released by the Minister of Foreign Affairs was not something endorsed by the military community in Brazil. And we shall not forget that uh, Hezbollah, which is directly financed by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, for many, many years is uh, known to have some type of presence in the Brazilian triple border. So for, for Brazil, we have to be very attentive on how to look at this issue, how to position ourselves. And ideally, when you don't know what to do, it's better not to do anything.
0: Number five, protests in Latin America.
2: I think that we are far from having a Latin American spring uh, as it happened in other parts of the world with protests, social protests, influencing other social protests in the region. Every protest that happened in Latin America in these last months have a very local component. I don't see this happening in Brazil, especially being triggered uh, by society in in a natural manner. I think uh, the government in Brazil has to have to keep an eye open for specific protests of specific categories, such as truck drivers and oil workers, uh, because they have huge bases, organization and the capacity to to create a hazard to the country and to paralyze uh, very strategic activities in the country. But I don't see Brazil today in a risk of being contaminated by the social uh, protests that happen in, in Latin America.
0: And number six, Argentina.
1: Well, Argentina is a key partner for Brazil. Probably we are in the lowest point of the Brazil- Argentina relations since redemocratization. Uh, bolsonaro already made it very clear what he thinks of this new Argentinian administration with the Fernandez duo. and they also had made very clear what their opinions about bolsonaro is. Uh, Alberto Fernandez has demonstrated, has tried to demonstrate in this beginning, that he, one, he, his narrative is of tackling corruption, of diminishing the debt of the country, and naturally finding a way to prevent another default, which every day seems more, more possible of happening. While Christina Kirchner, her main focus will be to try to change the decision makers and the opinion makers that orbit the main accusations against her, in order to avoid problems for when she leaves presidency. So I believe that she's focused more on her personal cleaning, while Alberto Fernandes is focused on default. And for Brazil, commerce is always very critical with Argentina, but there are no signs that Brazil will be able to increase this commercial, this bilateral trade with Argentina. So perhaps looking at other partners might come up to be the other alternative for Brazil at the moment.
0: And number seven, BRICS.
2: Well, regarding BRICS, Brazil had a very successful summit here uh, in the end of, of last year. Uh, very pragmatic. Uh, Bolsonaro shifting the tone specifically towards China, a country that he deeply criticized uh, in the beginning of his, of his mandate and during his uh, uh, campaign as well. Uh, China represents a big chunk of investments and have been investing a lot. 2019 saw a very large exponential increase of Chinese investments in Brazil. They are targeting infrastructure and telecom as well, with Huawei uh, looking very strong to water sanitation programs in municipalities and states. They have already a huge presence in the electric sector. And now, uh, apparently, the next focus of the BRICS will be India. Bolsonaro traveling to India very soon, trying to diversify the uh, exports that Brazil sends to 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 India, which today is very concentrated in oil, uh, also in sugar, uh, and trying to make cooperations with India, a huge market to sell other goods as well. Probably in the last BRICS, Moji was one of the most unspoken uh, figures among the the members of the the heads of state in Brazil, and this could change with uh, this next trip which I know that Brazil is taking very seriously and will have a strong committee of of authorities visiting the country. And number eight,
1: Mercosur. Mercosur uh, also, in the beginning of the Bolsonaro administration, was under criticisms. Uh, We remember uh, an interview that Paulo Guedes did in the end of 2018, where he he said that Mercosur was not a priority uh, for Brazil, but this obviously changed throughout the year. The EU-Mercosur agreement was celebrated as a huge victory by the Brazilian government, perhaps too soon, and and this the consideration that this was a, the, the considering that this was a victory might have been a, a signal of a young administration that was not aware of the next steps that were still en route before this deal was it will, it will be finally signed. We have the European Union needing to, to approve this EU-Mercosur deal, and having the parliament of each European Union country approve it. Today, after all the clashes between Brazil and some European countries, mainly France, um, this decreases the chance of something like this advancing, and also the decision by the Swiss government that in switzerland instead of being approved by the parliament it uh, should be approved by a popular referendum is something that plays against brazil in a moment where the brazilian image abroad is not the best so the mercosur is something that will keep on on going almost in an automatic pilot but the big leap that we all expect that would be disagreement is likely to happen
0: only a few years from now, if at all. For number nine, we have a, a very timely topic for this rapid fire: the OECD.
2: Well, as we saw, uh, the American government, in, uh, in a gesture to the to the Brazilian government, sent a letter to OECD, uh, making informal that they wish Brazil to be the next country in line in queue. To, to the vacancy that uh, was uh, initially uh, promised, supports to Argentina. Um, this was something that Bolsonaro, when the United States said that they supported OECD, he made a very big deal of, uh, about it internally, and then the process stalled for a little, which uh, was not good uh, for, uh, for the press, for him, uh, regarding the press coverage in Brazil. But now another change with the U.S. supporting formally uh, Brazil. I think that um, the main reason, probably the main reason from all of this is the fact that the victory of Alberto Fernandes, a, a Peronist, uh, the, the American government believes that um, maybe Fernandez and his team, Kirchner, are, are no longer seeing OECD as a priority. Uh, Brazil, with its very bold agenda of reforms, um, a GDP that could grow between 2 to 2.5, some very optimistic um, um, banks and investment funds projecting even a 3% growth this year. So Brazil has uh, is doing their homework. But again, it's a lengthy process and it depends, uh, as we know, of, uh, of a, a unanimous decision by all 36 members of the the, the OECD. Uh, so I think that this is good news for the narrative of Brazil and the U.S., especially for Brazil for Bolsonaro, but it's still a a long process that uh, it could take a while for it to be determined and
1: and concluded.
0: Thank you. And to close out this rapid fire segment, uh, Brazil and the United Nations.
1: Well, the United Nations has been a preferred target on Brazil when talking about uh, foreign affairs. And we have heard all sorts of of curious narratives from the Minister of Foreign Affairs regarding the United Nations, at the end of the day, the United Nations is what each country wants to make out of it. Um, and, and nothing is imposed by the United Nations on any country. So to the, the, the narrative that the United Nations try to impose something up, uh, upon a certain country or impose a behavior upon a certain country, it's something that... Uh, makes very little sense, given that nothing uh, is above the sovereignty of each nation. So Brazil should perhaps uh, talk less about the United Nations, perhaps participate more, try to shape their opinions within the forum that they they offer, uh, and not see it as a risk of anything. It's very typical of Latin American countries to pinpoint risks that uh, from for our own mistakes that comes from abroad or come from other countries. But most of the time, the mistakes are, are made by ourselves. And it's not the United Nations that imposes anything in Brazil. It's sometimes the way that society responds to certain inputs that is uh, demonstrated for them. And I believe that Brazil's foreign affairs should be more pragmatic in terms of interpreting the signs, interpreting these organizations, and acting uh, without such uh, belief of uh, persecution.
0: Thank you. And that wraps up uh, this week's uh, rapid-fire segment. Uh, We appreciate all all of the insights on these 10 topics. And, you know, I I think uh, ideally all of these issues deserve a bit more of an in-depth discussion, but uh, as we're, we're running out of time, I'm going to choose a couple of these that maybe we can dig a little deeper on. And I'd like to start with the U.S. Uh, since, you know, much has been made internally here in Brazil about the good personal relationship between Bolsonaro and Donald Trump uh, with Bolsonaro at times described as the Trump of the tropics. Um, And I'd like to hear from both of you a little bit on the relationship between the two leaders and the relationship between the two countries and and what we can expect uh, moving forward. Um, Also, just please feel free to to touch on how uh, this relates to Brazil's relationship with China uh, as far as the trade war is concerned. Um, as well as uh, the ongoing process of Brazil entering the OECD, which I think we've, we've covered uh, in depth. But if you have anything more to add there, it's very welcome.
1: Well, Michael, Brazil's relationship with the U.S. is historic, is positive, and it's something that the grand majority of the public, of the population, uh, doesn't understand because it's, it's divided into layers we have to understand that the relationship between presidents does not mean a relationship between countries and vice versa. We could have presidents, for example, Bolsonaro and Macron in France that they do not get along with each other, but the levels of cooperations between Brazil and France in the lower levels are very solid. And in the United States, the same. I think uh, despite whatever... Bolsonaro talks about Trump or Trump talks about Bolsonaro and this uh, attempts to demonstrate some friendship between themselves, this is irrelevant. What is important at the end of the day is how the institutions talk to each other. For example, the FCC, the the American uh, telephone regulator, they want to, telecommunications operator, they want to develop a partnership with Anatel. And this is something very good to Brazil. And this, at the end of the day, does not depend on uh, simply the will and the wish of the presidents, but on the two regulatory agencies identifying mechanisms that make sense for them to to have a close uh, partnership, and mainly what this partnership will deliver to Brazil. Uh, the USTR for example the USTR is is the area of the US government that evaluates if we could have a free trade agreement with them or not for example so whatever even if the the if Trump says that he wants to do a free trade agreement with Uh, Brazil, that doesn't mean anything if the USTR is not on board and if the two sides does not separate a long time and a very in-depth type of relationship that could lead this to happen. So Brazil-US relationship has everything on the table to develop to a point that it could be very strong. But the mistake is the personalization of this relationship and believing that a good relationship between two individuals is synonymous to a good relationship between two countries.
0: Thank you for that, uh, Thiago. Um, now, just a, a message to our listeners: Originally, the plan was to go into a few more of these topics, but uh, as we've seemingly uh, run out of time, as our uh, rapid-fire segment morphed into somewhat of a moderately speedy fire. Um, We're going to have to uh, continue this discussion in a second episode on foreign policy in Brazil. Um, Thiago and Lucas, I'd like to thank you for taking part in in this episode of the podcast. And then a special thanks to our listener for tuning in. Um, I invite you to tune in next week for more on Brazilian politics. Thanks so much.